Well, good morning. Well, in my neighborhood, we would say, Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> Arabic greeting for peace be upon you. Or actually in Spain, we would say, buenos dias. Any Spanish speakers here? No? Okay. Well, it is great to be with you, my uh, family, uh, the Cannon family. My wife, Ellen, couldn't be with us. She is actually sharing this morning uh, in another church in West Virginia, and uh, they've asked for her to come. So she is there. Uh, our son, Tim, uh, is there on the, on the picture on the front row. Uh, he is in 11th grade, uh, six foot two, uh, size 13 shoe. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, actually. We're not trying to be cheesy there. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, he, he will go back to Spain with us. Our daughter, Emily, is a sophomore at James Madison University, and uh, she is studying in the university there. Uh, she feels really called to the Middle East. And then our oldest daughter, Katie, just graduated from James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and uh, she graduated on a Saturday in May and got a job with the university on a Monday. So that's really good news for a college graduate. And, uh, and she also feels called to work in Southeast Asia. So she is in process of uh, raising her funds to be able to do that. She'll be working with a non-government organization and part of the international church as they reach out into some of the, the, the more difficult areas. Go to the next slide. And so our family in Spain, we began a ministry called Oasis Center. And uh, Oasis Center, as Pastor said, is a, is a place in downtown Madrid where we are ministering to the community because I don't know if you know this, but there are almost 2 million Muslims in Spain. And in Madrid, we have one of the largest populations of them. In our neighborhood, there are over 10,000 Muslims in a five-block New York City radius. There's security cameras on every corner because there's lots of drugs. I mean, there's over 80 nations in our neighborhood, and, you know, it, it's really a challenging place. But the Lord really put in our heart that he really wanted to have a presence in that neighborhood. And so as representing Jesus, as those who follow Jesus, that's what we're endeavoring to do. So we began the ministry of Oasis Center as a way to reach out. Go to the next slide. And so there in, in downtown Madrid, we offer classes in Spanish because, you know, that's the language we speak. Hablamos Espanol. Um, we also offer English classes. We offer homework help because many of the kids between the ages of 8 and 12, when they go home, mom and dad can't help them with their homework. And so we help them so that they can make it through school. And it's also a way to serve our community. We also discovered that many of the Arab women in our neighborhood, uh, they come from families that they've never had the opportunity to learn how to read or write in any language. And so at Oasis Center, we started a literacy program for them so that they could learn to read and write. I remember one of the very first times that one of our Muslim ladies, she, uh, she read a, a sentence on the chalkboard her very first time when she got done, all the ladies, all the ladies gave spontaneous applause. And I thought it, as I watched, as I heard, I thought, boy, God, I think you really smile in pleasure at this. And so trying to give them tools to be able to make it in a place like Spain. And then we also offer legal advice. Um, I have a lawyer who dedicates one Saturday a month. And I uh, had one of the guys um, who was an illegal uh, came back a couple days later. He said, boy, the advice she gave me, it kept me out of jail. 
So I don't know what he did or what, but uh, anyway. And then, of course, the creative arts and different ways that we're ministering to the community. Because, go to the next slide, because really what we're trying to do is to help Muslims fall in love with Jesus and become followers of him. Because I don't know about you, but when I became a follower of Jesus, it was because I fell in love with him and he totally changed my life. He not only will cleanse your heart and your mind and save your soul, there's also something that ignites within us that we love and we follow him. And that's what we desire from Muslims, that they become followers of him. So that's what we're endeavoring to do. You can go to the next slide. And so just a little bit about us. Uh, If you're interested in more information, we do have a uh, display out here after service. You can stop by there. If you want to sign up for our newsletter list, if you're interested in partnering together, uh, the church is partnering, but Pastor Phil has already said it's okay. If you're interested in even some additional, as we're trying to get back to Spain, uh, Oasis Center runs on the funding of people whose hearts are stirred and touched by it, who want to give and partner with us. And that's how we do it, and uh, as the Lord provides. So if you're interested in that, stop by and see me. If you have your Bibles, or if they want to put it up on the screen, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This is a passage where is something that has, especially working with Muslims, has especially great meaning to me. And I think it's something that will encourage us, and especially as we're talking about the Fire Bible and, and what we're doing, I think it's pertinent for us this morning. But you know, before we look at the passage, I realize that many people today are facing all kinds of crises. You know, there's crisis with the hurricane this next week. People have lost their houses up in New Jersey and in New York, some of the very places where, I was, where I've been in the last couple weeks. There are people who are facing unemployment. They don't know what 2013 will, will, will be facing. There's, there's all kinds of things. But I think, one of the, I think one of the hardest crises to face is a crisis of faith. And I know for many, there's disappointments that happen in life, and as a result, there's frustrations and anger, and life events happen, and sometimes in life, we think, can I take any more? What's going on? I don't know what to do. And yet, I think as we look at the scriptures, as we look at Jesus, I think there's something that can relate to us, because I think many people, as They're looking ahead at the political situation, as they're looking at the unemployment, as they're looking at their investments, whatever it is that is facing us today, we understand that those things are not the answer. Rather, those are things that are indicators, and sometimes we fall into the trap as Americans thinking, well, if I could just earn more money, I'll be happier. And all we know is it complicates our life all the more. So it's not making more money, it's not necessarily having a better job, it's not necessarily uh, your portfolio. Those things are fine and those things may be good, but it ultimately boils down to is that when you and I face difficulty, what are we going to hold on to? You know, in Luke chapter 24 here, there's a message to us from Jesus that shows us that in the midst of crises, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of angst, in the midst of all the various things that we face in life, there's something that speaks to us across time. Something at the very end of his life. And because I work with Muslims, I, 
and constantly talking with Muslims about Jesus. Now, sometimes that might seem a little counterintuitive. You think, well, you know, Muslims, if you talk about Jesus, they'll want to kill you or something. (laughs) Sometimes I've met Christians that have that thought. But the truth of the matter is, often when I talk to Muslims, I'll say, so what do you think about Jesus? And they'll often pat their heart. They'll say, oh, we love Jesus. Now, they may not love Jesus exactly like you and I love Jesus, but there is a respect that they will often have. And so as we talk to them about Jesus and as we explain, and these stories from the Bible that we call the Gospels were written down for a purpose, They're not just random acts. They're not just religious fiction about a dead martyr, a prophet, someone who claimed to be, then he wasn't. But rather, it's something authoritative that speaks to us. And if we will open up these passages, as your pastor does, and and as many of you maybe have come from a background of being in church and, and hearing the stories of what the Gospels portray, I find that it's very applicable to us today and especially to our Muslim friends. And so as we look at this passage, I find often and am reminded that Muslims will say to me, you know, we don't believe that Jesus is God and we don't believe that he really died on the cross and, you know, we can go round and round about all that. But what I found, the best thing to do is begin to tell the stories about Jesus. I found that with Muslims, as I begin to talk to them about Jesus, even from a book, they may seem, it may seem to them to be corrupt. I find that as I begin to talk about Jesus, there's often something within them that begins to awaken. There's something within them that, 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 that piques their curiosity. And as it begins to speak to their heart, there comes often a change their attitudes towards the Bible and towards Christians, towards followers of Jesus. And so as I talk to them, as we hear the stories afresh, I think it's something that should awaken something within us. It should encourage us. It should strengthen us. It should exhort us. It should draw us closer to Jesus. Because often as Christians, we become enamored with the term Christian. But you know, if you take the word Christian, you'll find that that word Christian is such a broad term that there's Christians on every side of every issue. If you use the term Christian broad enough, there's Christians that believe all kinds of weird things as well as people like us who tend to define it as being moral, as being followers of Jesus, as people who try to read the the word and to pray. I prefer to use the word follower of Jesus. So looking at this passage as a follower of Jesus, it's in Luke chapter 24 and 13, but what I would like to do in the next few moments is, I would like to tell the story. Because, you know, many of the early traditions about Jesus, they weren't written down until some years later, and they're valid and true in their written form. It's not that. It's just that they were a culture that were more oral. You know, in our society, we've become much more oral, and we become much more visual. And so let me just tell the story, and then we'll draw uh, a couple principles from it, and, and then we'll, just, we'll, we'll do some takeaways, and then I'll close and give it back to Pastor Phil. But the story. So this is a story that this is one of the appearances after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried, after the disciples had abandoned him, and 
Now, a couple days later, this is Sunday. They don't know what's happening because it happened on, on Friday. And there's two disciples there walking down the road. It says they were on the road to Emmaus, which we know is somewhere outside of Jerusalem and probably to uh, in the outer areas of Judea, about seven miles. And these two disciples, probably after all of the pilgrims had been in in Jerusalem, and then they celebrated the, the Passover, and now the disciples are on their way home, and they're walking down the road, and suddenly Jesus joins up. Now, it's kind of not, it's not like we do in our cars where, you know, where, you know, to travel in certain lanes, you have to have certain amount of occupants, or they give you a fine. In those days, walking on the roads, you would often meet strangers, and there would be people that would join and make friendships, because there were people from all over the empire. And yet on this occasion, it says that they were walking in this vicinity of Emmaus after the Sabbath, and Jesus begins to converse with them, and he says, well, what are you talking about? And they say, well, you don't know? He said, no, what do, you, what do you mean? You don't know what just happened in Jerusalem? I mean, everybody's talking about it. It'd be like somebody arriving to the East Coast, flying into New York City, and saying, well, what's all the, what's all the, the, what's all the fuss? They'll say, what, man, you didn't hear about Hurricane Sandy? What are you, not, you must not be from here. And so... They say to Jesus, well, no, what happened was Jesus, he was a Nazarene. He was from this one particular village, and and he was a prophet, and God was with him, and all the people loved him, but our religious leaders decided to put him to death, and they crucified him, and in so doing, he died, and he was buried, but then something else happened, and There's a couple of the ladies that were followers who said that this morning that they saw Jesus. Or at least some angels in a vision came to them or whatever form, and there's some talk that maybe he's alive. Some of the companions of Jesus, the disciples, they went to the tomb and they found the tomb empty, but we don't really know what's going on. It's too soon to tell. So these two disciples, the crisis. Not only did Jesus die, they don't know where Jesus is. And Jesus's response to them was, are you so dull? Are you so dense that you are so slow to believe that all the prophets that they told that Jesus, the Messiah, that he would suffer and he would be received up to glory, up to heaven. And then as he began to talk to them, he not only began to exhort them to believe, he actually began to open up the scriptures to them. It uses the phrase that Moses and the prophets, which is really shorthand for the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And so Jesus began with these two disciples walking down the road. He began to do a Bible story with them that all proved that he would die, be buried, and rise, raised from the dead. Now, we have the privilege of having read in Luke, who wrote this, 
We have the reader's privilege that it said that when Jesus came upon them, they were kept from recognizing him. And so they don't know that they're talking to Jesus. But Jesus then begins to exhort them, begins to share with them out of the word of God, out of the scriptures. And he goes on and comes night. And as they're ready to go to their home, they look as though Jesus is going to travel on. But in Middle Eastern hospitality, they invite strangers into their home. It's not like us where, you know, if I don't know you pretty well, I'm probably not going to invite you in to stay at my house. But in that culture, it's, it's a culture in which you would open up to travelers. And, and so they, 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 they said, no, look, you need to come stay with us. No, that's okay. No, you really need to stay with us. And so Jesus enters into their home. Typical fashion of Middle Eastern hospitality, they would usually go find bread because everybody had bread. And so when they brought the bread out, then Jesus, because they don't yet know that it's Jesus, Jesus steps in as the host. Now remember, these two are his disciples. And he steps in as the host, and he breaks it and begins to pass it out. And suddenly, they recognize, this is Jesus. Dude, this is Jesus. And then suddenly, he disappears. The bewilderment is gone. The excitement, it's nightfall. They, we don't know how long they were in their house, but suddenly they realize Jesus is alive, so I can't send Peter, I can't send him a text message, so they do the next best thing, and they leave their house and make the seven-mile journey to Jerusalem that evening because the disciples needed to know that Jesus is alive. And they conveyed to him what they had experienced. So what do we learn about this? It's not just a random story. It's something that teaches us something about Jesus, and specifically for us who, who work with Muslims. And, you know, I mean, there's so many opinions about Muslims, and what do you think? I, I, probably some of you know Muslims personally. I don't know if everyone does. So there's all kinds of different Muslims. But what I find is that Jesus is working among the Muslims. Let me draw three principles that help us to understand. The first is, God is making his presence known through Jesus. It is not just that Jesus was a dead martyr. It's not that just Jesus reappeared out of, any, out of nowhere. It is that God is working through Jesus and making his presence known find it interesting in working with Muslims, often when we're helping out at, with Oasis Center or even a local church who has a feeding program, I find often that, that when we share a message like this morning, and Muslims, sometimes in a church that we help out with, they'll have 100 to 150 Muslims sitting in the audience waiting for a bag of food after the end of the service. And this particular church has done this now for a couple years. And I remember after one time, it was at Christmas time, and I, I shared about Jesus being the Messiah, born of a virgin. When I got done, Muslims rushed up to me and said, you really do believe in one God. 
at another time when I was talking about the glory of God that the shepherds saw out in the field, and I began to describe that. I had Muslims come up to me after the service and said, it is like you were talking like this heavenly language or something. Other times when we're speaking to Muslims, they'll tell us, they'll say, you know, when you shared about Jesus. It was like your it was like your face was glowing. It was like our hearts became burdened. It's like our hearts began to change. Because God's presence through the ministry of Jesus when it's expressed there's something that's totally different that can change us. Relating to the fire bible, relating to bibles that are given to people who have never once read the bible before, the largest survey that was done from people who were Muslim who became followers of Jesus, one of the top reasons that they became followers of Jesus was because they actually had the scriptures in their language. They could read for themselves. Remember one Moroccan man, when he would come into the church service, he would feel the presence of Jesus, and he came up to me, and you know, Muslims aren't supposed to drink alcohol, and he was not a very good Muslim by his own admission. And he comes up to me, says, you know, I had a problem with drinking alcohol. But you know, when I come here and I hear about Jesus and, and I feel the presence that is here and they don't quite know how to describe it, he says, it's like I don't want to drink anymore. It's like I feel this tremendous peace. So God is working through Jesus. Number two, Jesus still speaks. And his word still touches people's hearts at the deepest level. One imam, we were meeting together, and he's got a big bushy beard, and he's memorized the entire Quran, which is about the size of the New, about the size of the New Testament. And when we were together, he said, "Mark, why do you, why do you follow the Bible? Why do you believe and follow Jesus?" And I said, "Well, you know, Ibrahim, it's very interesting that you would ask me that because." When I read the Bible, it reads me. It helps me to love God. It helps me to love my neighbor. It helps me to love my wife. It helps me to love my kids. I said, it'll even help me to love my enemy. Number three, Jesus still invites people through his word in the spirit. As Jesus had appeared on that Road And as he was speaking, the disciples later, they said, my, how our hearts were fired up when we heard him expounding the scriptures. When Jesus was telling from Genesis to Malachi, from the beginning of the revelation to that point, and telling what he would do and what he was doing, the disciples, their hearts were fired up. I remember a friend of mine, Muhammad, when I gave him a Bible for... He'd never had a Bible before, and when he grabbed hold of the Bible, he grabbed it with two hands. He put it to his forehead. He kissed it with his lips. He put it to his heart. He says, now this is my book. He'd never read a Bible before. He and I would study about Jesus, and it was amazing how the presence of Jesus would begin to speak into his heart through the Holy Spirit, and his attitudes and lives began, life began to change. So what are our takeaways? You say, well, that's a nice story. That's great about you with Muslims. But what about for us? I think the challenge for us is to, number one, 
learn from Jesus. It's not about becoming a Christian as much as it is about becoming a follower of Jesus. It's falling in love with Jesus. Because Jesus, he not only paid the price, he not only died for us, but it's, it's sometimes to express it this way, I had a Spanish lady who was an atheist, and she was, uh, she was asking me a question. Well, who are you people that are working in, among Muslims here? And I said, well, we're followers of Jesus. And she said, oh, I like Jesus. And I looked at her, and it was like the Holy Spirit put in my heart to say to her, I said, and you know what? Jesus likes you. She kind of did this blank, this double take. And she never, never really dawned on her that Jesus actually likes her. And my challenge to her was that she would encounter Jesus and she would read his words. I said, you know, they make a Bible that the words of Jesus are in a different color. They're in the color red. She said, they make a Bible like that? <laughs> I said, yeah, go to a bookstore. You'll find a Bible like that. And just begin to study and read the words of Jesus. Because often as people are investigating Jesus, they don't know where to begin. And our last takeaway is follow Jesus in every area of your life. These disciples, they encountered Jesus. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They hadn't recognized him in this new sphere, this new place of his glory. Boy, when they began to see him break the bread, the lights began to go on, and they began to understand who Jesus is. It as much affects every area of your life as anything. And so when pastor is talking next week about budgets and our economy and things like that, and as you're talking about reading the Bible, what about, what about personal relationships, and what about family, and what about, it's all pertinent to us. Follow Jesus in every area of your life. And so my challenge to us this morning is as you begin to look to Jesus, and as you begin to study the Word, as you if you're new, as you begin to fellowship with people who are followers of Jesus, you begin to see that life can take on a whole new meaning. It'll give you a deeper perspective that Jesus is at work today. Jesus doesn't love Muslims any more than he loves you. But he invites you to follow him. He invites you to Go more than just thinking that he was a good man. To look to him. That in the Bible it says who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's to Jesus that we follow. And in so doing, he transforms our life because he's risen. That really challenged me. Brother Mark, thank you. Thank you for a powerful word from Luke 24. There's, um, there's a number of statements that you made there that really um, just sounded really deeply inside of me. You, you mentioned how it is when we come to Jesus and something awakens inside of us. Um, and I don't know. I know in our room there's, there's those that have made that decision. There's those that are, that are still considering what they're going to do in, in regard to their relationship with Jesus. I, I have... I can speak from personal experience. I remember 
the, I guess, the, the feeling that I can't really quantify or explain, but it felt like something woke up inside of me right before I made a decision to follow Jesus. And I would imagine that maybe some of you here this morning, as you were hearing Mark speak, or maybe it was while you were watching people come down for prayer and you were seeing people genuinely smiling and accepting them in and listening, and you were watching that and studying that, or maybe it was something during worship, or maybe it was when someone connected with you at the door, when someone welcomed your child into the nursery or into Echo's kids and something started maybe stirring inside of you and you weren't really sure what it was, but it maybe felt like something was waking up. That's kind of how it feels when God really starts reaching out to us and connecting to us and saying, would you, I want to invite you to follow me. You, then you made one other statement, and that's the one I want to close with this morning. You, you said to somebody, Jesus likes you too. Ever since I was a little boy, I would hear people say, God loves you and Jesus loves you. I tell my wife, I love you. I tell my little son, Chase, who you heard through the walls this morning. <laughs> you recognize cries when you're a parent. Sorry, we do feed him. <laughs> but I tell him I love him. But you know, there's something different between saying I love you and I like you. Isn't there? You know, love, I guess, is kind of a commandment. God expects of me to find love for people. And if I don't have it, I'm allowed to borrow God's love, the love of God, and use it as if it were my own. Because I have a hard time loving everybody. That's just me. I mean, I, I love people that love me back. I love people that are nice to me or give me presents on my birthday or, you know, things like I have a hard time loving the people that are in front of me in the drive through that don't know what they want or cut me off in traffic or are mean to my wife or, you know, things like that. I need God's help. But liking people, it's nice to be liked too, isn't it? I don't want to be controlled by that. I don't want to live my life in such a way where I have this obsession, everybody has to like me. But when you said Jesus likes you too, that means almost as much to me as knowing he loves me, as knowing that he likes me. One of my favorite music artists is Fred Hammonds, and, and um, he, 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 he's a gospel music artist, and he has a song, and in the, it's kind of a confession. On the end of it, he says, he's talking about the things he needs to know from God. He says, to know you love me, and you like me, and you're real. And isn't that really at the end of the day? If there is a God out there, if I knew that he loved me, and he liked me, and he was real, sign me up. And if he is who he say he is, then he knows everything about me. And I have this idea that the more people know about me, the less they'll like me. And God knows everything about you and me. He knows my habits, my addictions, the things I, I don't want other people to know about. He knows my past. He knows the things I don't even want to admit to myself. And knowing all of that, he still loves me and he likes me. Even before I decided to follow him. Even if I'd never follow him. Friend, that's where it starts. You don't have to understand all the theology or quote the New Testament on the front end. You don't even have to get all cleaned up first. Because after I decided to follow Jesus, guess what? I started to learn a whole lot of things about me. Started learning about some of my addictions because I am a follower of Jesus and I'm a pastor. But I'm also recovering from a lot of other things in my life. I'm recovering, I'm recovering from clinical depression. I'm recovering from 
being addicted to, to, to prescription medicine that I had, I, had to, <laughs> I had a lot of issues with that. I'm recovering from, I mean, years ago, our marriage, I lived through a period of marital separation. Just being honest, not proud of it. After I decided to follow Jesus. Because he loved me. And he liked me. And I wasn't perfect. I didn't have to get perfect before I started following. He took me in as I was. And because I had that relationship, I've seen him work me through a lot of things. Now, some things I'm still recovering from and working through, but it doesn't mean he likes me any less. Friend, if you're here this morning, there's something that's stirring inside of you. And you say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make a decision to do that. Then you get to take a step this morning to initiate that. It's very simple. I'll walk you through it right now. Why don't we pray together? Why don't we just pray? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? If you want to make that decision this morning to follow Jesus, or maybe you're saying, you know what, I I have historically made that decision, but in the time since that decision, I'm not, if I looked at my life right now, I'd say I am not following Jesus in every area of my life. And I need to reconnect. I want to get back on track. You can pray a prayer just like this, and you can do it right now in your seat between you and God. You can pray a prayer prayer similar to the one I prayed when I decided to follow Jesus to sound something like this. God, you know everything about me, and you and I both know that I'm not following you. You know that up to this point, I've been living life and doing life as I see best. But God, I recognize today that that's not the best way. So I take full responsibility for every decision I've made up to this point. And I ask you, please forgive me for disobeying you and living my life my way and not your way. Please forgive me for that. In this moment right now, I'm just bringing me all the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that everybody knows about, the thing no one knows. I'm bringing it all to you and I'm putting all of me in your hands this morning. And by faith, I'm inviting you into my life. And I'm committing on my end to following you in every area, not just in isolated pieces of my life. So Jesus, will you come into my life right now? Take up residence inside my heart, my mind, my thoughts, my emotions. And help me be the person you always imagined that I could be. And that I've always secretly wanted to be, but wasn't able to be. And I'll follow you every day you give me breath in my lungs to breathe. In your precious name we pray. Amen.